Hello, Dr. Dyke Drummond here at the home of TheHappyMD.com in beautiful Seattle, Washington. Welcome to the latest episode of the Physicians on Purpose podcast. Tools so you can recognize and prevent your own burnout. Stories of burnout put to its highest and best use. And wellness leadership strategies. Everything you need to be a physician on purpose. Hey, this is Dyke Drummond again in the latest edition of the Physicians on Purpose podcast. Today, our special guest, our special guest is Dr. Maisha Claiborne, MD. Maisha and I go way back. Maisha is one of my original coaching clients when I launched the Happy MD, and she is such a magnificent example of, how should we put this, vocational flexibility. She's, she's a doctor. <laughs> And she's an entrepreneur. She's a certified executive coach, a member of the coaching team here at the Happy MD, a master NLP practitioner, a trainer, a consultant. She hosts the podcasts Remap Your Mind podcast. She also hosts the podcast Next Level Physicians Thriving Outside the Box. I have been a guest on that podcast. And there are so many things for Maisha and I to talk about. And what I want to focus on today is vocational flexibility, meaning if you're looking at your practice, your job, your current vocational situation, your current career, and you are not satisfied with that, you're not satisfied that you're making the difference that you want to make, you're not satisfied that your quality of life at work is adequate, you're overstressed, maybe burned out, maybe that little voice is saying, I'm not sure how much longer I can keep going like that. Maisha and I would like to talk about what you might do in order to make a change for you and your family and your spirit. Does that make sense? So Maisha, you're a family doc mm -hmm. and you went through all the educational process that we all went through and tell us a little bit about how you made your initial decision about how you wanted to practice. Cause I don't think you ever came out of the box in a traditional fashion, right? I was never in the box. I always was the salmon swimming upstream. You know, when I was in, I'll take it back a little bit further. When I was in college, my senior year in college, applying to medical school, actually having been accepted to medical school, someone gave me a book called Between Heaven and Earth. And this was about traditional Chinese medicine and a different way of practice. And that was the first time that my mind got opened up to there would be something different. There would be some kind of different path for me uh, because that part made sense. But I knew I needed to go to medical school. And I don't know how I knew this, but it was like, I needed to go to medical school because there was something in it for me as a physician to do something different. So I'll start with that because I think a lot of times we have these visions and these dreams and then it get, they get beat out of us. When in medical school, they get beat out of us in residency programs that get beat out of us in our career once we got, rack up a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars worth of debt and we have a family and now we're kind of stuck. So that was sort of the vision from the get is that, oh, there's something that's going to be different, but I need to go to medical school. And so that, you know, I think the people who know me from medical school, the people who know me from residency always knew that I was going to be going in the, in the, the direction outside the box. Yes. 
And that also brings up another way of looking at this. When you go to medical mm -hmm. school, you don't realize you're in a fishbowl. You're learning one way of looking at human physical health. You're learning one Western allopathic way of viewing disease and recovery. And it's like talking to a fish about water. The fish says, what's this water you keep talking about? Because it's invisible to them. It sounds like you went in knowing that you were going on a search for a specific way of looking at humans and disease and life and knew that this was just one way from the get-go. Mm -hmm. From the get-go. But even so, once you're in the vortex, <laughs> it's easy to get sucked in, all right? So yeah, I had this vision. I still didn't know how it was going to be manifested, how it was going to be implemented, right? And it was as I was in residency, I would say was when I really felt like I was getting sucked into this vortex of what I'm supposed to be doing, right? who I'm supposed to be, how I'm supposed to act. And it really took the life out of me, almost literally, right? Because there was a time in residency that I woke up that I said to myself, yeah, I, I'm not going to wake up tomorrow. Like, I don't want to be here anymore. You know, and I had that bottle of pills. And I almost threw it back. And, you know, lucky for me, I had enough of a pause. Lucky or not, lucky or blessed, right? I had enough of a pause to pick up the phone, like maybe five times too, because people <laughs> didn't answer the phone. Oh, I hate it when that happens. <laughs> right. But I made it through the night. And I know, and you know, many of our colleagues who didn't make it through the night, right? And that was my wake-up call, like, okay, let's not get sucked into the vortex. Like, what is it? And I know that a lot of us, a lot of, you know, us, our colleagues go through, go, go way beyond residency in that sort of cycle of, is this it? Is there all? Is that all? Um, so yeah, I did. I came out of the box different. I came out of the, the residency box different from the start that completely framed my career. And then when you were board certified. And when you walked out of the education, the doors were flung open and you were free. <laughs> what was the, the structure of your first practice, your first way of exercising your Western allopathic self? Oh my gosh. <laughs> the first way was to team up with a chiropractor, to convince a chiropractor to hire me in his office as I started my own practice. Nice. <laughs> Right. And uh, three months in that sort of fell apart. And then the, the next iteration and there's a theme in here. Right. There's a theme that I, I often talk to the, my clients and the people that I teach in terms of uh, the NLP. And then I started seeing patients like in their homes. Right. I was like, hang on to it. Right. It's like, oh, I'm going to do this. And that failed as well. And so then I started doing local tenants. And I saw it as a way for me to, we talk about it as a bridge, but as a way for me to learn different practice styles, learn different systems to really know where I wanted to be. I think ultimately I knew I wanted to have my own, but I didn't know a damn thing about running a business. And so I used sort of the locum tenens experience to kind of learn, okay, well, what's this thing all about? I got, and plus to even get my feet wet with practicing, with being a physician like, without an attending supervising me. Right. And how long were you a locum stock? I was a locum stock for 
almost 10 years. Oh my. Actually, eight years, eight years. I was a locum doc and I used locum tenens. Now this is a, a, first of all, I just want to back up and say, can you hear how many times I flopped and failed? <laughs> well, no, hang on a second. Hang on a second. I'm not sure it was a failure because you were never in the gutter or anything like that, right? <laughs> right? But it was one of those things where you were looking, right? And it wasn't quite right. I like to call it out as a fail because I started something that didn't work, right? I started this thing and it didn't work. And for most people, doctors particularly, who are not used to things not working the way they set it up and think it should, it becomes a failure. Right. And we make failure mean things that it doesn't mean. You know, it's like, oh, well, I failed at this. Well, I failed biology one-on-one in college, but I graduated number one in my, out of my medical school class. So, you know, we make failure mean this thing that it doesn't mean. It just means that we didn't achieve a particular outcome that we set out to achieve. And then we use the learnings from that in order to, what does the GPS do? We calculate. Yep. That's what she says all the time to me. <laughs> well, calculating. Yeah. I want the English voice, please. English female, please. So, uh, so the other thing I'll say is that um, just to reinterpret that it, anytime you do something that you've never done and you don't get the result you thought you would get, that's not a failure. That's a learning experience because what you're actually doing is the scientific method. You have a hypothesis and what you want is you want clarity. You don't want wishy-washy, did it work or not? I'm not quite sure the gray area. What you want is that worked, that didn't work, but it's still a hypothesis. It's still just a guess. It doesn't mean, it doesn't, that's like somebody says, I don't want to practice medicine anymore. And I say, well, what do you want to do? And they say something crazy, like I want to own a pizza joint. And I said, have you ever made a, a pizza for 20 people? No. Well, then let's get you to go shadow a pizza joint owner to see whether right. your hypothesis is correct, because you may have a great time that day or you may just hate it. But you have to do the experiment. Right. And so you asked the question of how long did I do or, or my locums experience? And right after the initial experience of trying to have my own practice <laughs> did not work out, I took on locums. I did locums at a... Um, Port McPherson military base at, uh, and then I went to New Zealand for six months, which was amazing. I got to experience an entirely other system. And I highly recommend if, if you don't have a lot of, a, of attachments, or even if you do and you, and the fluid, I mean, I know now we're in COVID, so that's a, it's a different animal, but travel doc, I did that. So I did that for six months and I came back and I started and then I worked for a big health system. So then I worked for a big health system. I, I did work inside of small private practices. So I really got to see the gambit of how things worked on the back end and different arenas and different systems. Business models. Business models. Yep, absolutely. And so then I started my practice, my private practice in 2007. But I continued to do locums throughout that. So part-time in my practice and part-time in locums for five years until I was able to go full-time in my practice. And that is what I typically would recommend if you're bridging, you know, like you ease into something. It might be easier if you're already in a, in a practice or in a, in a job to ease into building something rather than to throw your whole income away 
and try to jump into or acquire a ton of debt to start something that has a, a bit of uncertainty depending on what you're doing next. Right. So you can use locums like a hummingbird samples different flowers, right? You can try different business models, different revenue models, different sizes, different locations. And again, this is just for probably a single person, right? But it also allows you to take always whatever you're doing is always your fastest path to cash, meaning you're going to earn the most money practicing medicine. These people will give you assignments and you can pick and choose and try things out before you decide to settle down. If you put all your eggs in one basket and commit to a particular practice style without ever having experienced it, again, you're in an N of one experiment and there's a lot at stake. So locum can be a really good thing. Some people end up doing locums for their whole career. career. Um, and, yeah. and that's fine, but most people use it as a bridge and a, and a smorgasbord sampling technique. Yeah. Yeah. I do have a couple of colleagues who are locums, like career physicians and love it. Right. And locums can be, is, is probably best suited for someone who's single, but I have seen like retired couples do locum. The doc who replaced me when I left New Zealand, he, he was a retired doc and he and his wife were traveling the world. And he was doing an assignment, a locum's assignment behind me in New Zealand. Or if you're married and you don't have children yet and your your spouse is flexible, you know, maybe works remotely, can work from anywhere. That's a nice front end experience before you have children. So there are different ways to approach it. Just It's just, you know, having that, that the least level of attachment. Even if you have a child that's, you know, a young child who's not in school yet, you can still do it. So I don't want to pin it down to you have to be single in order to be successful in locums. It's just you have to evaluate the situation, your own situation and the workability of it, and then decide. I do think that you're right about the fact that locums can be a sampling smorgasbord because a lot of times people can find their permanent career inside of locums as well. You know, like you try these different practices and you come to like one after a while and they're like, can I keep you? And you might say yes. You know, so it's a good, it's almost like a lease option <laughs> situation. <laughs> and what you get to do is you get to actually experience working there. Yeah. And the most important thing about experiencing working someplace is not the work. It's the culture. It's the leadership. It's the feeling of walking into that particular workplace. And that is something that you can't know until you've actually sampled it. So locum's a good time. And then I'll also say that some people find extended part-time situations too. So for instance, I had a client one time who lived on Martha's Vineyard. He's an orthopedic surgeon, had a house on Martha's Vineyard, but his career was every other month he would live in Wisconsin and be a small town on 24 seven on call for 30 days, orthopedic surgeon made a huge amount of money, had a house in Wisconsin and he and his wife would shuffle back and forth every month from Martha's Vineyard to Wisconsin. So there's all sorts of funky things you can work out that you may not have heard about until somebody proposes it to you. And I think the point in all of this is that, well, one of the points is that we are fed that there's only one way. There's only one right way. And by the way, by the way, because you know I do work in anti-racism and only one right way is a whole symptom of white supremacy culture, right? I'm drop that in there every now and then, <laughs> maybe. But it's a thing to look out for because there's this paternalistic, our industry is a very paternalistic industry, you know, and there is not only one right way in medicine. 
There are many ways and we just haven't been taught it. And what I like about some of the early career docs that I, I deal with is that they're starting to see and know early on that there are multiple ways to enter and be in this industry. And I think it's important that when you know that, that you can see those, you can, you can look at those options and have more uh, expanded choice right from the beginning, which is part of what we do in NLP is expand choice from an unconscious level, expand the capacity for choice and flexibility. So speaking of flexibility, can we put this on fast forward? So Maisha graduates. She learns something about trying to make a practice with a chiropractor. She goes on an extended tour of five or different, five or six different places, including New Zealand as locum tenens, settles down, starts her own private practice. And can you just fast forward us through the, to where you are now? Because hang on a second. She, she just talked about NLP and anti-racism training and all that kind of stuff. Where, how did we get there? <laughs> I know, right? They're like, what? I just dropped a bomb on y'all. I'm sorry. Uh, let me let me back it up a bit. <laughs> so I'll fast forward you through. So I started my practice. I practiced for 10 years. I practiced in integrative medicine. I loved it. I didn't leave my practice because I was burned out. I started to about five years in realize that there was a bigger difference that I can make. And by the way, that's how uh, Dyke and I met. <laughs> Because I started to realize that there was a bigger difference I could make. And I remember my my burnout experience. And I thought, well, what if I helped doctors? You know, like I could help thousands of patients if I help doctors. And uh, and then I, I called Dyke and said, teach me what you're doing. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. First, get your foundation in order. And I did. And fast forward, I went in and start, started coaching uh, mom docs. So some people who are listening may actually recognize me as the stress-free mom MD because that's where I started. And after about a couple, a year or so of that, docs began asking me to help them make their transitions in career and began to learn entrepreneurship. So that's how I morphed into career transition and teaching business entrepreneurship sales. But about five years into my practice, no, I guess about six years into my practice, I learned this thing called hypnosis and neuro-linguistic programming. For those of you who do not know what that is. Yes, please. <laughs> most of you probably, right. Most of you probably have heard of hypnosis, but neuro-linguistic programming is a cousin to hypnosis. And it's an, a way of accessing, speaking with, communicating with the unconscious mind, you know, through language to be at the source of your thoughts, your feelings, your, your behaviors, your habits, so that you can produce the best results in your life. So let me just give you a, a visual really quickly. If you think about an iceberg, like the one the Titanic ran into, there is the part of the iceberg that sits on top of the water that we can see. That is our, right, that is our conscious mind. Those are the, the trying to figure it out, the trying to remember all the, the things that we know that we are doing, right? Then if you were to look in the water from the top, you could probably see a little bit of the iceberg underneath, right? This little sliver, and that is the subconscious. That's where we begin to get into our, our emotions and some of our belief systems and, and deeper thought processes beyond the, the surface. But there is an entire part of the iceberg that lies in that deep, dark, dark depths 
recesses of the ocean. That's the part that the Titanic actually hit <laughs> that it did not see. And that is the unconscious mind. And that is where your deeper values, that's where the trauma is. That's where the unconscious limiting beliefs, the deeper fears and sadness and all of those things that you have, they're blind spots or your blind spots that you don't know. That's where they are. So what NLP does is it gives you access to that. It starts to pull with stuff that's unconscious to conscious so that you can deal with it powerfully and remove those things. And then that helps you to be more free and more powerful in your expression in all areas of your life. Was that a good enough summary? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and NLP also has to do with neuroplasticity. It has to do with choosing and changing your reality through language. Through language, specifically through language. We don't realize how powerful our language is, right? And so there's, this, you know, the NLP encompasses a set of ling- linguistic or language tools and techniques, as well as patterns that you learn that allow you to be able to not only access your own, but speak and listen in a way to people that allows you to even go beyond their conscious mind and speak directly with their unconscious mind. And so one of the things Maisha does now, again, to make a larger difference is combine her knowledge and ability to teach neuro-linguistic programming with the function of building a more anti-racist organization because you're working with organizations, right? I am. Me and my my co-facilitator partner, uh, Dr. Jill Wiener, we have a, a company called Conscious Anti-Racism and we train from the top down and the bottom up um, on how to begin to look at the culture and the deeper systemic structure of racism and to begin to uh, dismantle that aspect of it more so at the con- at the unconscious level. So that's one of the ways that I use my NLP teaching. I also train people directly who want to learn NLP, who want to learn hypnosis. I have a lot of doctors who have wanted to learn these things. And <laughs> a lot of my classes are filled with uh, medical professionals. So I do train in that discipline as well. Well, and one of the things that I got certified in as soon as I stopped practicing medicine back in 2000 is a technique called interactive guided imagery, which is a cousin to hypnosis where you help the person have a conversation with the parts of their personality. And uh, if you dive into the literature around suggestion, not hypnosis, but simple suggestion in medicine, it is such a powerful tool. I recall a study where they had uh, two groups of patients that were going through spinal surgery. And the only difference between the control and the experimental group was in the experimental group, as the anesthesiologist was doing the pre-op consent, said, your bleeding will be minimal. That one phrase, bleeding will be minimal. And when they measured the bleeding after those, that one suggestion, one phrase, it was 500 cc's less in the experimental group. So the power of suggestion and language and imagery, uh, try this on, I'll just give you a quick one. Next time you're giving somebody an injection, tell them, well, this is gonna be a, a little bit of orange and then some purple, and then just stick them with the needle. And you're gonna be done by the time they stop cocking their head like a dog that doesn't know what it's looking at. <laughs> You've crossed <laughs> sensation on them, right? They don't know how to interpret something like that. Yeah. So it's uh, it's kind of fun. But what is it? Uh, what do they typically do? This is gonna be a bee sting. I don't know about you. I've never had an injection feel like a bee sting, but I know what a bee sting feels like. So don't say that to me, please. <laughs> <laughs> right. A bee sting is not. That's a bad shot. Good. Man. You're, w- you're wiggling <laughs> so, that needle right. all over the place, right? 
So, so what we can say, Maisha and I can say is, if you've always practiced a standard Western allopathic practice of medicine, there are other realms around and other ways to interact with your patients. And if you're drawn to doing something different and something that maybe resonates with what we've said today, exploring that can potentially add depth to your practice. Got to have a little bit of bandwidth to take it on, yeah. but it can add depth and purpose and meaning to, and, and add to the quality of life that you are experiencing at work. And just notice, and, and this is different than follow your bliss, Right. Do oh, what gosh. you love and the money will follow. <laughs> I can tell you that follow your bliss and do what you love and the money will follow are absolute dead ends. Absolute dead ends. It's different than that. Right. It is different. It is. It is. And, you know, what I'll say is I, I will say listen to yourself. Absolutely. Though, because yourself will tell you, number one, when it's, when it's time. People ask, well, how do you know, how, how do you know when to switch careers? I, I just, it was, it's, there was an inner something that said it's time for the next thing. Now, just because it's time doesn't mean you just jump into, but you begin to explore, well, what is that next thing? And then, and why that, you know, like I'm trying to tie this all together, right? Like how the NLP, how the suggestions come into play is like, we are so suggestible as people, we don't even know it. All of the suggestions that have been given to us in medical school and in residency, we can begin to look at what those are. What are the things that we've been told, but what is the truth? What is true and what is not true? And then we can listen to ourselves and begin to dismantle some of the untruths and pull those apart. And that's where people like, you know, Dyke come into play. If your, your coaches come into play, you know, myself with the deep work with NLP, I do do the work one-on-one come into play is to dismantle those conversations. So you can be free to really listen to well, what's next and how to explore that and not be stopped by these old conversations. And, and I think that's a bridge to the next step. So if you're feeling like there's something calling to you, but you don't exactly know what it is, I feel that it's important to hear that and listen to it but, and to explore it. It doesn't mean you have to leave medicine. It doesn't mean you have to, uh, you know, start your own practice even. It, mean, it just means you need to explore what that is. It could mean that you need to find something that complements you as a, as a clinician outside of medicine that gives that joy back to you. Or it may mean you need to go part-time and find something, you know, that you love or admission work on or whatever it is. But I think it's important to explore what that inner voice is doing so that you can find, so you can actually find your bliss. <laughs> you can discover it and uncover it, <laughs> recover it. Yeah. And if you ever feel like you're stuck, like, woe is me, my life sucks, my practice sucks, I'm stuck, I can't do anything else. That's always incorrect. You always have choices. One of the phrases that I learned was that what coaching and other self-exploration can do is return you to a position of being what's called at choice. It's also called your locus of control. Uh, there's nothing I can do is what's called an external locus of control. You're swinging like a puppet on strings. Somebody else has all the cards, nothing I can right. do. Well, that's that's not true, but there you have to go through a process of reawakening yourself to the fact that you do have control. There are things you do and do not have to do, right? You do have the ability to choose. Right. 
you're either at the, the cause or the effect. So put yourself at the cause. Go like this. You've got a great finger wag. Do that finger wag again. Put yourself at the cause. There we go. There we go. There we go. Excellent. And so Maisha has found a way to do this work. And again, I would say there's a thread through it all. Here's the thread through what I do, and that is teacher. So I always felt being a family practice doctor, the second half is teacher. The first half is detective. With every patient, detective teacher, detective teacher. My hypothesis might not be right, but I've used a reasoning process to get there, detective. And now I'm going to explain it to the person, right? In a way that they can understand it. Malleable, teaching people in language that they can understand. Again, the teaching goes straight through everything you do, Maisha, coach, trainer, NLP. And now here she finds herself, you know, in boardrooms, teaching boards of directors, anti-racism, using her neurolinguistic programming foundation. Yeah. My, my uh, two is our teacher and healer. Healer is at the center of it. And then teacher is, is, is the thread. That yep. yep. So all of that is possible. And it reflects that light worker choice, right? Do you want to go to medical school or do anything else? Well, why did you choose in the first place? This is some of that programming. This is some of that iceberg and usually in a good way, some of that iceberg, what's the origin story of your choice? to devote your professional life to the, to supporting the forces of light in the universe. And there's all sorts of way to battle the darkness. That's right. And, and there's, there's one thing I want to say about what is the origin of the choice, because I have talked to many people where the origin of the choice was based in cultural phenomenon. You're from a culture where you're either a, an engineer or a doctor or a, a lawyer or something of that nature. So if you do go back and you find that the origin of the choice, the origin of the choice was based in external opinion or external pressure, then you need to find either where you loved it, where you began to love it, or if you never loved it, then you need to give yourself permission to do something different. And then there's a way to do that. There is a way to do that. Um, because I know that there are there are many people who didn't go into medicine because they wanted to. It's because they were expected to. And sometimes that's conscious and sometimes it's not. My example, uh, my mom, my mother's mom, <laughs> both wanted to be doctors, went off to college, came home teachers. So I was the firstborn male grandchild. It was almost inevitable, but nobody ever said it out loud. But I noticed that my burnout came as a brick wall at a point in time when the only real change that had happened in my life, and I love being a doctor. I really did. I still do. All my patients are doctors, right? But the, the one defining feature of my life at the time when I burned out and crashed out of my practice was both my mom and my grandma were dead. And I'd been 10 years in private practice as a family doc, you know, a boomer gunner, delivered 500 babies, all that stuff. I'd been a doctor and that phase of my life was over. <sighs> yeah. This feels like a pause point, Maisha. <laughs> now, uh, we definitely are going to talk more in the future on future podcasts because I would definitely like to have you come back and talk on a whole bunch of different things. But one of them is definitely racism and bias in the healthcare delivery system, the medical education system, in your own personal life and what it means to be anti-racist. Let's talk about that for sure. I'd love that. That'd be wonderful. Thank you. Yep. And is there anything else you want to say or do or ask for right now? Well, 
I just want to thank you for this conversation. I feel like, you know, it, it just keeps coming full circle. You know, <laughs> you were my first physician coach, physician mentor. And, um, and I just appreciate how, you know, we can have these conversations and have this come full circle. I do want to say that for those who are listening, you're always at choice. And there always is a way to be creative and flexible inside of your career. And we were not born uncreative people. For anyone that says, oh, well, I don't have a creative bone in my body. That's a bold face. You just somehow, it got smacked out of you, it got burned out of you, whatever it is, right? It's just really about connecting with the people who can support you and reclaiming that and opening up those channels again. And that's what I, this is all about. That's what, you know, what like light healing work is all about. That's what my light healing work. And that's just what this is all about is, is finding that reconnecting with oneself. Right on. Well, this is Dyke Drummond at the home of thehappymd.com in beautiful Seattle, Washington with our latest edition of the Physicians on Purpose podcast. Maisha, what's a web address you want people to uh, contact you at if they want to learn about NLP and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So if you want to learn a little bit more about NLP and, and the trainings that are coming up, we do have a couple of trainings coming up in the summer and the fall. It's remapmymind.com. Remapmymind.com. In general, if you want to hear just about you know the things that I speak about in the, in the realm of anti-racism, you can actually just go to my page, which is drmaisha.com. Right on. Thanks a lot, Maisha. Pleasure having you. Everybody stay safe. Cross your fingers. No th- fourth wave of COVID. <laughs> oh my yes. God. <laughs> yes. Right on. <laughs>